everyone, what's going on? My name is Stephanie Graham. I'm an artist and filmmaker, and I'm also an extremely curious person. Some will go as far as to say that I am nosy as the, the nerve. <laughs> I started this podcast because I wanted to interview people. I'm not just talking to anyone either. I'm talking to people who are in the thick of what they do. I want to know how they live their life and how they get things done so that I could apply some of their savvy to my own life. I'm sharing this with you so that you too can do the same. We can do it together. We all gotta start somewhere, and if you're not looking for practical info, stick around anyway, because my guests are fascinating, and it's my goal to get to the bottom of their sh**. I mean, aren't we all just a little bit curious of what it's like to live someone else's life? And if we do it the same? There are also times when I will feel called to catch up with you one-on-one and let you know about what's going on with me, either in life or with my art practice, You didn't think I'd get the dirt on all these cool people and not let you know what's going on with me, did you? I mean, I'm a Libra. We believe in balance. Listen, I am a big believer that even though we are all different, we can still find ways to relate to each other. It's time to get down to business, so welcome to the Nosy AF Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome back to Nosy AF. Continuing on with the On The Rock series, where we dive deep into the intriguing realm of art and creativity, I am thrilled to announce our esteemed guest today, Marie Lanou, a Canadian artist whose boundary-breaking work continues to captivate audiences worldwide. Born in Simcoe, Ontario and raised in Delhi, Ontario, Lanou's artistic journey has taken her to the vibrant landscape of Saskatchewan, where she has flourished as a painter primarily based in Saskatoon, She is known for her mesmerizing abstract paintings. Lanou's creations tantalize the senses with their layered colors and intricate textures, challenging us to explore the nuances of perception and form. Throughout her illustrious career, Lanou has garnered recognition and support from esteemed institutions, including grants from the Saskatchewan Arts Board. Her recent publication, An Extremist, offers a profound glimpse into her exploration of light and color. We are enriched by thought-provoking essays from Robin Kingsburg, Leah Taylor, and Robert Hughes. Additionally, Lanou's involvement with 330G, an independent artist-run space in Saskatoon, underscores her commitment to nurturing artistic dialogue and collaboration with community. I am so excited for you all to hear this conversation with Marie. But before we delve into our conversation with Marie, I want to extend an invitation to you, our listeners, as we are planning our first Q&A episode, or should I say I'm planning um, my first Q&A episode, and I would love to hear from you. I posted this on my Instagram story, um, and I've said it on the podcast before, but I'm saying it again. So if you have questions, uh, um, even about Marie's artistry, her creative process, anything related to the podcast, my art process, I want to hear them. So please head over to the Instagram page at Pod and leave your questions in the comments or in the show notes. I will have a link to asking a question where you can record a question or just type up one. I would love it, love it, love it. Your curiosity could shape the direction of upcoming episodes. So without further ado, let's unravel the colorful world of Marie Lanou. We have Marie Lanou, my friend Marie, here on the podcast. I'm so excited that Marie is here. Marie and I were studio mates at Pooch Cove. Would you call us studio mates even though we each had our own individual studios? Sure. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So we were um, studio mates and I got to walk past Marie every morning as I was going to either go on a walk or go to go to throw away my garbage like her beautiful studio was right there and it was always so bright with her beautiful colors everywhere and so Marie can you please introduce yourself to my audience and tell us a little bit about your work oh I would love to first of all thank you my dear for inviting me on the podcast it's so exciting especially because I come from sort of the hinterland you know the middle of the country the the flatlands and to be talking to someone from a big city in the U.S. is absolutely great. Also, I, you know, I too share your enthusiasm for us being studio 
mates because I remember you walking by as well with these long, gorgeous, flowing braids. And you always had some wildly wonderful piece of clothing on. And I would be working, but I would notice you and turn my head and look out the window and there the gorgeous you was. <laughs> so I feel the same way. Anyway, I am an abstract painter and my focus in my studio practice is color. I live on the Great Plains and I have tried to look at color. I've tried to study actually the physics of light because color is so dependent on light. And the place where I come from and Saskatoon in particular is one of the cities that has the most light in Canada, for example, per year. And so it seems to be the perfect place to be immersed in this light and space kind of bubble, I guess. And it's really that the landscape has been really conducive to the kind of work that I do. So as I said, I've come at color from a scientific perspective, i.e. the study of the physics of light. And in this new series that we're going to talk about, I've come at it from a completely intuitive perspective. So two sides of the same coin, both interconnected and interrelated, in my opinion. Where are the Great Plains? Well, if you think of Canada, yeah, a map of Canada, and you just slice the center. So Alberta, Saskatchewan, and Manitoba, we're mm-hmm. the three provinces that encompass the biggest part of the Great Plains. But the Great Plains stretch north and south, too, into your country as well. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, in Canada... I'm just talking about us here. Um, And, you know, you can drive for many, many miles and see in the distance up to 60 kilometers in some cases. That's, you know, that's what I'm describing. It's just flat land. And a lot of it is farmland. So grain and pulse crops are grown on the land. So, I mean, imagine you have no barriers to interrupt you and light and space completely surrounds you, you know, so you're in this crystal clear bubble where you can see in every direction for miles ahead of you or kilometers ahead of you. It's really great. Wow. It sounds beautiful. Yes. You have to come. I mean, you know, it's one thing to say it's beautiful. It's another thing to actually come and experience it. Right. It was sort of like Newfoundland, Stephanie, you know, Mm -hmm. you probably have heard a lot about Newfoundland, but honestly, when I got there and I'd been there once before and I really loved it, but our my landscape here is very harsh and unforgiving. And I feel that Newfoundland is very harsh and unforgiving. But having said that, I love both places. I could live in Newfoundland in a heartbeat oh, in yeah. the same way that when I set foot on the plains here on the prairies, I knew it was home, you know? So there is something about that type of extreme geographical situation that really, really appeals to me. You know, the only difference is Newfoundland is surrounded by water. I'm surrounded by land, you know, flat land, water. So it was really nice to experience other sensory inputs, like the smell of the sea, for example. You know, like that's something we just get here. We get dust. That's it. We smell dust. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Newfoundland was really, really beautiful. Like, I loved looking across the street and seeing the Atlantic, the Atlantic Ocean every day. And it really did make, I mean, I was, I kept talking to you about like all the businesses, like, oh, can I have a business here? Can I have a business here? Trying to figure out like, how could I live here? (laughs) The very magnetic and magical place, you know, if it is a place that, that appeals to your sensibilities. I'm sure it's not for everyone, but honestly, it certainly appealed to me in a major, major way. And I think that that's one of the reasons I was really productive there, I think, as well. Yeah. And I felt like, did you, I love that my favorite thing about you as we've had the time to get to know each other and be up there is like your response to color. I I love color, even though I don't know if I necessarily like always use color in my work or think about it. I am always like attracted to color. And so I was always attracted to your, the colors that you were using and they were so bright and they just really stood out, which Newfoundland isn't bright and doesn't stand out. I mean, they have the jelly bean color houses, but not, you know, it's just like 
blue and green, you know, thinking about in color. And even our conversations, you know, about, and hopefully you can even just briefly talk about this project with the sky, like looking at the sky and sharing the sky, liked how, you know, it had like a community aspect of asking people about the sky. It's like one of my lines, like of talking to someone at the bar, like, oh yeah, well, why don't you send me a picture of your sky? You know, <laughs> like it's a way to talk to somebody following up. Like I've gotten, I got that from you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, about Pooch and how I started things there, and then I'll talk about the Sky Project. So when I got to I didn't want to set any expectation, you know, on myself or any kind of pressure, you know, in terms of producing. And I thought, when I go, I'll just do really small things. And when I start, I will only use the six colors of the spectrum. That's it. Don't add a whole bunch of stuff. It's a new place. You're meeting new people. We've been, my husband and I have been COVID isolated, you know, for a long time. And it was like, look, you may not like it there. You may freak out at the people and being afraid to go anywhere, blah, blah, blah. So just take it easy, go small and just start slow. And so, you know, small works on a paper material, a substrate. It's not actually paper, but anyway, that doesn't matter. And just the six colors of the spectrum. Just really limit yourself and see what you can do with that. And so my process is one where I layer one color on top of another. So although some of the pieces that you saw were brighter than the others, they were simply starting going through the spectrum, red, orange, yellow, green, blue, violet. And the first piece would start with red, the second one with orange, the third with yellow, and so on. And then the first piece would have orange as the next color. The second piece would have yellow as the next color, and so on and so on. So that you just go through a lovely, quiet rotation and see what happens at the end. So some of them would be brighter than other ones, and others would be darker. And I guess when I started, I guess I was in a more somber mood, maybe, than what I evolved into over the course of the four weeks. But that was sort of how all of those paintings that you saw started. And then I started going a little more wild, sort of on week three, let's say. <laughs> thought, okay, let's open up this and just doesn't matter what order things are in, just go for it and see what happens. But everything was done with no set agenda and open to possibility right? So back then to Saskatchewan, I did a couple of projects. When I started thinking about the physics of light, I went outside and I looked at the blue sky and said to myself, you know what? I've never really taken the time to observe the sky that is above me, you know, and we're, we're sky people here on the prairies. That's the biggest part of our world. And so what I did was I took photographs of the sky over four seasons in, I believe, 2016 and 2017. And then I contacted Golden Artists Color in New York and spent some time with their tech team where we tried to match the pigment that they produce, because I use Golden Acrylic Paints in the studio, with the blue sky colors that I was seeing in the photographs. We came up with some pigments and certain combinations that I thought would be conducive to the blue that I was seeing. And I say that because everybody sees color in a different way. Your red is different than my red and your blue may be different than my blue as well because we're each individuals and we see color very specifically. So I had the pigment loads, you know, mixed and then I started painting, but I painted keeping all of that information in mind, but altering it based on what I felt it looked like versus what the, you know, oh, this reading said this, this, and this. No, I wasn't going to go on that. I kept going outside and looking and feeling my way into the color as well, using the information that I had, but not relying solely on it. So it was based on information gathering and observation, right? So I did those series of paintings, large-scale paintings. Some of them were eight feet across on wooden panels, and then another set was five-foot square aluminum panels. Um, anyway, and, you know, I was just astonished. I've been living here for so long, but I've never really observed the sky in the way that this forced me to do. And, you know, in every single direction, it's a different blue, yeah. right? 
You look from left to right, top to bottom. The blue is never the same, and it's based on the position of the sun, right? Yeah. So anyway, you know, simple things like that, you know, I had never really taken into account in a very kind of, I guess, in a profound way. You look up, it's blue. You know, oh, it's blue over there too. But it actually isn't. It's very, very different wherever you look. So then I thought, well, how can I stretch this project? How can I take it beyond my geographical place? And also, I should also say that I was very interested in only my place, my world. So that was around my house. This is where I took the photographs and above my studio. This is where I spend most of my time. And I wanted it to be really specific. And also, it started at about seven in the morning until 10 at night. That's my day, my typical day, right? So again, really specific to me. So then I said, okay, well, how can I enlarge this and not be specific to me, but invite other artists around the world, you know, to share their concept of blue through the blue sky photograph that they will take. So I had a number of people who I'm friends with, people whose work I love, and I just emailed them out of the blue. Can you take a picture of the blue sky where you live on your cell phone? Don't alter it. Don't Photoshop it. Don't do anything to it. Just take it. Tell me the time of day. Tell me where you live and send it to me. Down and dirty. Don't do anything else, right? And who doesn't have a cell phone? So it was a way to access people without asking them to do anything onerous. They didn't have to buy another piece of equipment or they didn't have to spend time figuring it out. Just go out, shoot the sky, tell me when it is, where you are, and send it. And everyone has access to the blue sky. It's a free natural resource, right? So again, it was just make it really easy, Marie. Just send it to them, make it easy, and they'll send it back. And, you know, barring a few people, like I went to some really super big artists and their studios were like, are too busy, but most people responded very positively. And so I got a blue sky photograph from all of the provinces and territories in Canada, for example, which was my goal. Um, and then I went around the world. So I got a few from the US, South America, China, Cuba, uh, South Africa, you know, I mean, it was just really great. People responded, France, Germany. Um, people were just really, really generous in their response. And so then what we did with that was I paired up with a gallery in Regina, the McKenzie Art Gallery, and they launched a program called the 13th Floor, which was their first digital platform. And my project was the first one. And so for the month of October 2019, I believe it was, each day in the month of October, we published another, posted another blue sky. So, you know, the first week you had seven. And then by the end of October, there were 31 blue skies from all over the world in, at different times of the day. And it connected us. It connected all of us via the color blue. That's you really know, cool. Really so simply great. And the grid is just beautiful. And you can still access it on the McKinsey Gallery's website. I mean, it's just, you know, it was so fun. And, and then we hit a period of time when COVID started, not long after that, where there were no planes flying in that blue sky. So there were no interruptions in the blue sky, no trails of smoke or anything. So we were treated to a period of time where you actually could see the blue sky without anything other than clouds in it, right? So anyway, it was a really fun project. People seemed really, artists seemed really just enthusiastically interested in the fun of it, right? And this notion of connecting, connecting in a way that was easy and inexpensive. And it's something that all of us experience. Sure. No matter who we are, right? Y yeah, yeah, yeah. I I really loved the project. I thought it was like really fun. You should do it. Why you do it where you are? Just do it. Would yeah, be fun to do. Maybe so. Know? Yeah, yeah. Why? Yeah, I think I I really I really like the. I'm not like a big like nature isn't where I like go to right away when I come to art projects. And so for you to think of that, I was like, oh, I like that. You know. And there's something that you said about you know we got to pooch when you were getting set up like you were sort of somber when you're getting started into your practice. Do you, 
when you start a work, do you pick your first layer off of how you feel that day or how do you get in? How do you decide that? Yeah. Well, so over the, since COVID, I've been involved in a series of paintings that are going to be published in this book that's coming out hopefully in the late fall this year. And as I said, my approach up until that point was much more scientific in terms of an understanding of the physics of light as it relates to the production and perception of color. Since COVID, I went in an entirely opposite but related direction, and that was the intuitive direction. And so when I was at Pooch, I did have the seven, six colors of the spectrum in mind. So there was kind of a prescribed formula that I was following, but that opened up as the weeks progressed. But I have been working very intuitive in the last few years. And, you know, you simply start and the painting tells you where it wants to go. If you open to the possibilities, you know, and if you can sort of push everything to the side and simply be one with your materials and the artist who inhabits you um, and Again, and you're listening. You're listening to that intuitive voice. The painting tells you where it wants to go. Yeah. It happens. Yeah. You know? No, I think that's great that you've started to move that way. When you were talking, I was thinking, I was like picturing you waking up thinking, I'm happy today. Happy. Yellow. Start with yellow, you know, but it's not like... <laughs> well, so I'll talk about the paintings in COVID. So I, you know... During COVID, the reaction that artists who I knew had to the whole isolation situation and this global pandemic, I mean, the reaction was very simple. People were either paralyzed and unable to work or extremely productive. There didn't seem, in terms of the people who I connected with, a middle ground there. It was one extreme or the other. For me, little did I realize... And how can you predict this? You can't predict this, that I would be unbelievably productive. You know, like, what? I, you know, really? You could never predict something like that. And so those extra layers of isolation and cutting off, maybe cutting off all distract were really, really conducive to an incredibly concentrated focus time in the studio. So when I started the paintings, they were much more colorful than the way that I ended up. And again, it was a transition period, but I went into the studio during COVID with the notion that I would only operate based on intuitive decisions, nothing else. Any sort of knowledge-based intellectual ideas and stuff had to be parked, and I would only go via my intuition. And the reason for that was because prior to that, I had done a big exhibition called The Architecture of Color, which, is, which was a much more scientific study of the physics of light. And I just could not cope with anything on that large scale. And so I started very small. Five by five, eight by eight, ten by ten, canvas, on canvas too. So I picked a material I hadn't been working on for like 25 years before it was on aluminum panel or, you know, wooden panels or whatever, other materials, not canvas. So, and so it was just like, okay, let's just shake everything up. It's all intuitive based and see what happens. So the initial paintings were very colorful, but as I got further into COVID and as the world got further into COVID. I was working on a painting one day with a red and yellow base. And it was so awful. Oh my God. It was like, how can you do something so awful that I took a bucket of white paint and I just squeegeed over this painting and lo and behold, <laughs> it was a miracle. Like, you know what I mean? You least expect it when your guard is down, you're pissed off, you make a gesture, you take a, you just take a move that is completely unpredicted and the world opens up. And so that was the first painting of a series of white paintings, which ended up being the bulk of the paintings produced during COVID. Did I ever think I would be doing white paintings? Yeah. No. Never in no. a million years. 
and so unpredictable and so off from the periphery. You know what I mean? Like, but that's when you know it's from the right place. Yeah. It's nothing you could have anticipated. So you've been listening to all of the signals that the ether has been signaling to you and your intuitive voice has been telling you to go with. And you follow that. You listen to that and you follow that. And that's what I did. And so the bulk of the paintings are really quite white, particularly in the center of the pieces with vestiges of color on the outer periphery. Now, all of them started with color so that the white would then be a different color-infused white, right? So some white starts with a red base, other white starts with a yellow base. So when you put white over bases that are different, the white reads with just a hint of the yellow or the blue or the red or whatever the base color is. And so what I was interested in was taking my viewer to this very concentrated state of being that I was in when I produced these paintings in the center. And if they needed then to pick up tidbits of reality, take a breath or whatever, they could hit the outer periphery of the painting and grab hold of those details, you know, on the edges that would take you back to reality. And then you could enter back into that portal of white and be transported, hopefully, to another dimension, a different dimension of consciousness, and hopefully at least sense where it was that I had traveled to, you know, in terms of in these things. Now, that's what I hope happens. I mean, you know, obviously some people are going to walk by these paintings and say there's nothing there, you know, but for me, there's there's everything. everything. And it's like the prairies. You know, a lot of people want to drive right through. Oh my God, I can't believe I have to drive through the prairies. There's nothing there. And for me, it's full of everything. Yeah. That's my fullness world, you know? Yeah. So that's really beautiful. You know, do you, wait, do you, do you, you speak like, so, you know, you don't, you don't tell folks like you speak well about your work, but I feel like you have such a flow in Speaking of your work, do you journal about your work or like, are you like really reflective as you're making? I just feel like, I don't know, I guess it's just like a technical, like, you know, business talk now or like, I don't know how you call it, like, you know, whatever technical talk. But yeah, you you flow like really like well and passionate as you speak. Like, do you, so I'm just wondering if you journal about your artworks, do you when you when you realize when you squeegee that white and you like discovered this new thing, did you stop and write it down? Like, where does that like? How are you able to talk so flow about your work? <laughs> I'm so choppy. I'm so choppy. Yeah, I've I've been doing it for so long, and you're not you too. I don't journal. I don't. I do write some stuff down, but honestly, I've spent a lot of time doing this, and I've spent a lot of time on my own doing this and really try to think through what I'm doing, even though that thinking through has led me to totally intuitive areas. But but I think, you know, for example, when I put that white on, as an artist, you have to know that that white was a revelation. Some people might think, oh, that white, I need one more layer of white. You know what I mean? To really cover everything up. When in fact, that white, as I said, I think revelation is a really good word for it. I that think so white too. was the doorway into a full set of paintings because there is a feeling, Stephanie, that you get when you know that it is right, when you know that you have reached a level that goes beyond color, it goes beyond, you know, a study of light and space and the physics of light and all the rest of it. It enters into a zone that is a much more maybe universally sensorial experiential zone. And honestly, when I get those kinds of paintings and, you know, you try to get as many of those as you possibly can. um, And my ratio of getting to that level is pretty good at the moment. It isn't always. I mean, equate it with playing tennis or something like some days you just have players just have like an unbelievable flow to the game and the next day they lose. You know, it's like getting into that state of being where that flow 
And that channel of information from the ether is really ebbing and flowing through you. And you're grabbing stuff, important messages, you know, from your intuitive self and the world around you, I guess, and really listening to them. And so that one coat of white, I knew right then. And you just know in the depths of your being that, wow, that's right. Stop. You cannot do anything more to this. You can't add anything more to this that's going to make it any better. It's done. You know, and I also say when people ask me, how do you know when something is done? I say, well, I know it's done when it's, it stops being full of itself. Mm -hmm, it mm -hmm. goes into a place that is beyond that. You know, I'm not in there anymore. It's a place now where you can enter into my peace and experience it or not. You know what I mean? It's not full of itself. It's open now to reception or not, I guess, from the rest of the world. So I don't know whether that answers your question or not, but honestly, you just know, like I know when I've done one of those high-level paintings, as soon as I put that pull on, it's like, oh, shit. This is, <laughs> yeah. you know, done. Yeah, click the whistle. Yeah. And it's it's because I've done this for a long time, and you, know, like you really you know what the various qualitative levels of your work are. And, you know, I can slot them in. Oh, that's a four or that's a two or that's a nine or there's a 10, you know, like just because I've done it and I've seen a lot of level, I've done a lot of work, like I really work hard. And so, you know, it's not like I'm stopping and starting. Studio practice is all I do. So I've had the benefit of being able to follow those qualitative jumps or plateaus or whatever, right? To really know what the difference is, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it does make a lot of sense. And it makes me think like, oh, I feel like myself, I might be too analytical with my work. Like I'm like, okay, here's the idea. And then here's what I need to achieve that idea. And then this is why I did the idea. And then that's it. You know, I'm not like, you know, like I don't approach it from like a spiritual, like intuitive Level. And it's even interesting as you've left the, you know, scientific part of your work and into like flowing more into your intuitive self and like even how that, you know, can like speak to speak into your experience as well, you know, like how that all meshes. So it's like it has me thinking like, OK, maybe now if I try to approach like from like a more spiritual like feeling kind of sense instead of just like a shop list of like, this is what I see. This is what I think. So this is what I did. I'd be curious about how my artwork might change. So I think that that's an interesting thing. Yeah. I think you should try that because what you're doing then is you're basically trusting your intuitive self. You're putting all your trust in your intuitive self. And I'm telling you, it's going to come through for you if you really do it in good faith. And just let it happen. Believe me, I think it will. And maybe that's where people get stuck. Or when I get stuck, that's when I get stuck, where I'm too much, I'm just thinking too many things. Oh, why doesn't it look like this? Or maybe I should have done that or that. that. Oh, it ends up feeling like that, you know, thought filled without any kind of connecting rods to anything that, that, you know, to the things that are really, really important to me. Now, having said that as well, though, you know, I do think an artist has to think. I do think an artist has to do research. I do think you have to read and be knowledgeable and look and listen to a lot of different things in the world. So, you know, that's what I do. So in my non-studio time. But all of that informs my studio time as well, right? So it's not like I'm coming in here completely empty. Sure. A lot of stuff that's filled my head that informs, but in a much more obtuse way, maybe, or whatever, you know, or your, your intuition has taken all of that into account already. And if you just go with it, it will drive you in the right direction anyway. It already knows all of that stuff, right? You know, they say that the brain needs a lot of information to process. 
when you have a difficult question that you're trying to find an answer to, take in a lot of information. It loves sifting through a lot of stuff to come to an answer. And so I do a lot of reading. I watch tons of movies. I mean, books, you know, art books, critical theory, that all that scientific tomes and stuff. So, you know, I'm doing all of that stuff when I'm not in the studio. Yeah. And I all related. It, it all informs. Everything informs it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, you have a book coming out that we all need to pay attention to and read for our brains. Well, I'm very excited about this. So the book is called In Extremis. And we're hoping that it will be published by the end of October of 2023. So launched maybe in early November. And it is a book that profiles the work that I did, only the work that I did during COVID. And it's an independent book project. So a curator, an independent curator by the name of Wayne Bearwalt approached me and said, I think we should do a book on these paintings. Again, out of the blue, it's like, what? And I'm going to apply for a grant and let's see what happens. And he ended up getting money and the book will be 96 pages. I think there are 34 full-page reproductions, and there are four essays. So the director of the Color Research Society of Canada, a woman by the name of Robin Kingsburg, has contributed an essay. So I wanted the scientific as well as the intuitive, both of these sides to be, you know, again, I said they're two sides of the same coin. These are all of the areas that have influenced my work, and they need to be included in this particular book. There is a curator from the University of Saskatchewan uh, by the name of Leah Taylor, and she was the one who curated the show, the architecture, my show, The Architecture of Color, based on the physical light. Then there is an artist who is very much informed by light in his work from Victoria, British Columbia, by the name of Robert Eudes, and he's contributed a more sort of poetic piece. And then Wayne Bearwalt, the independent writer-curator who initiated this whole project, has contributed a foreword, and then we have a conversation. So hopefully you're getting a kind of multiple perspective or multidimensional perspective, you know, about what informs exactly what it is that I'm doing. And then... An incredibly great designer signed on to do the design of the book. It's very simple, but really elegant and just very minimal. And his name is Troy Gronsdahl. And it is being printed by Type A in Toronto. So it's not... One of the real fun things about the book for me is it's not associated with an exhibition, although we do want to find museum exhibition venues for the book and the work once it's published, but it's coming right out of the studio, right out of the trenches. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, yeah. oh, there isn't any kind of a show that was happening that this work was produced for or whatever. It's pure work out of the trenches during COVID, you know? Those hopefully will come once this book is published. But I really like that. I mean, this is this is how... Books should be, you know, in terms of work by artists, we should be the ones directing what gets put into the books versus in any other way, shape or form. Yeah. 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 Just really like the idea that it's an independent project too. And, you know, we all have come together to work on this thing and we'll see what happens with it. Right. Yeah. No. And I think it's such a great way to like, see you know like the body of work that like that's like come through your mind that's come out in it's like what am I trying to say you know like but basically I'm trying to say like I think it's a good way this book is to see your body of work that is coming from your studio you know because exactly like you said you know usually like I can go see an exhibition and then you know in the gift shop I can buy what I just saw you know, but this is like sort of the other way around. Like, you know, we can read. It's like it's like a movie, you know, it's like we read the story and then they make this story into a movie. It's like I've seen this work. 
in this book. Now I get to go see it. You know, hopefully if everything goes along according to your plan, now I get to see it in exhibition. You know, it's like the reverse, which I think is really, really exciting. You know? Yeah. And, you know, again, it was a project that sort of popped into my life out of the blue. And um, it happens to be capturing one of the most productive periods of time in my entire career. And again, I had this a long time. You know, you sort of think, geez, there's no more gas in the tank. But honestly, <laughs> who knew? There yeah. was. No, there was still like super super whatever duper gas in the tank. I just, you know, again, you just can't predict these things and you can't predict how you're going to react to certain things. And, you know, anyway, it's just really exciting that it's this particular body of work that is being put into a book form. The other thing about the book is in terms of the title in extremis, you know, as I said early on, the prairies are harsh and unforgiving. This is a very extreme climate, like Newfoundland, you know, and I have a really extreme personality. My husband is the one who is the middle ground guy. I'm either this or that, you know, up okay. or down. Like I'm very rarely in that middle ground. I'm one extreme to the other. And so COVID as well was an extreme you you know, global pandemic. I mean, we've never experienced that in our lifetime either. You know, so all of these factors came together in selecting this title, right? And so the book starts out when you open it up, there is a very, very black painting based, it's called Color in a Black Hole. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And it's black. And then the last painting in the book, also a black painting, but the bulk of paintings in the central area of the book are all white. So the book starts, you know, is bookended on both ends by very dark. Um, cover will be very dark and the front pages will be black. You know, so there's the black, white kind of in extremis idea built into the design of the book as well, which I really think is fun, you know? Yeah. No, it's exciting. Do you think how are you going to act when you're a published author? Are you going to be a little bit different or what do you think? <laughs> going to be like a superstar? No, I just, I'm just not like that. I am so shy of all of that kind of stuff. Like, as I said to you earlier, I hate getting my picture taken even. I guess, you know, you're bearing your soul in the studio. That's enough already. I don't need somebody to see my face at the same time. You know what I mean? But no, that stuff really just makes me really nervous. I don't like that at all. I just like being quietly alone, making the work. Having said that, however, I hope that, you know, people respond positively to this work and to the book. And, you know, when they if and when they get a copy of it, that they look at the work more than once. Like, I think it's the kind of work that you can't, well, I hope you can go back to more than one time. And each time you go back into it, you'll see something different that you missed the last time. Sure. You know, that will make you want to have another look. Yeah, and that's what I hope, but I don't know whether that will happen. Yeah, I think it'll be fun. I think, it, I think this is fabulous. I think this is such a fabulous thing. And you are, and I think you're, you, you're so, you're so fabulous. You know, you're so wonderful. Like, it's so funny to hear you say like, usually shy in the studio alone. I mean, but you know, I guess it is sort of how you, you know, when we were working together, everybody was like in their mix. And then when it was time to be social, it's time to be social. Tell us about, you have your project space too. So it's like you, you're in the studio all the time, but you know, you're very gracious and you still have time to, you know, open up, you know, your space for, others as well. So tell us about your cool project space. Sure. So the building that my husband and I bought used to be an old church. So it is my studio space, but I rent out all of the other little rooms in it to other artists. So it's full artists working in the building. And then there was a front foyer space, which was basically dead space. And it was Danny, my husband, who said to me, you know, why don't you do something with this space? Why not put up some exhibitions? And I'm like, yeah, actually, that's a really good idea. And so, so I didn't want to have to be beholden to anyone for money or, you know, scheduling or anything. So I said, if I'm going to do this, I'm paying for everything myself. I'm going to put up work that I want to see 
from artists who I think are really important to me. And I'll do whatever I bloody well feel like it, you know, and I don't want to kiss anybody's butt for money. And I don't want to have to write reports. And I just don't want to do that. So I'm going to do this by myself. And that's what I've done. So whenever I feel like it, and when there is work that really inspires me, um, I put up exhibitions. So in October, from October 15th to November 15th, when I was at Pooch Cove, there was a Newfoundland artist who I've been corresponding with via Instagram for a number of years now, whose work I love. And I went in one day to St. John's and met him at the Rooms, which is a gallery in St. John's where he works. Okay. And invited him to put up an exhibition at 330G. I've never shown a Newfoundland artist. And I don't know whether there has been a Newfoundland artist who has shown their work in Saskatoon, actually. Oh, wow. So this for me. And this guy is just terrific. And it the work that he produced when he was artist in residence at Fogel Island, which is a whole other story. Oh yeah. my God. An amazing place that is. Anyway, so back to the, the project space. So what I try to do is I try to bring in people from away, artists from away, and pair their work with artists from here to get dialogues happening, conversations happening. How are you similar? How are we different? And the other thing I really have liked doing is pairing generations, you know, in conversation. So I did a painting show in the middle of COVID simply because I was so sick of seeing work only online on a screen. Yeah, no kidding. I was kidding. desperate for the real physical thing. So I invited people, artists from the four Western provinces, painters, and I had established artists with emerging artists. And it was a lawn style hang. There were 20 pieces in this small space. So you were forced into seeing conversations taking place between artists from different provinces and here and artists from different generations. And I really loved that. Well, every single slot in that exhibition was full. People were so desperate to see the real McCoy. I couldn't believe it. And there were only two, max three, allowed in the gallery space at any time. So they felt really safe. You had to wear a mask. So, you know, it was like one of these intimate viewing experiences where you knew you weren't going to leave with COVID kind of right, thing. Right, yeah. right, right. Like right. I had taken all sorts of precautions. I was wiping down door handles, and, you know, disinfecting everything. So people would feel totally safe. You had to wear a mask or you didn't get in the door. And, you know, you could just see when people walked out, even though they were wearing a mask, they had a smile on their face, you know, that was just really great. So it's a way for me to give back to the community, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. it, we are at an isolated place in many ways. And certainly during COVID, nobody traveled anywhere. And a lot of people are still hesitant to travel. So if I can bring work in that people maybe have never seen before and introduce you know, bodies of work from artists from away, for example, it is that. And the other thing is that a lot of emerging artists, until they have an exhibition in a proper exhibition space, they're not eligible to apply for grants. So I've been able to give these kids an exhibition in a proper space that has entitled them then to go to various granting agencies and apply for money. Also, like, honestly, as an emerging artist, can you imagine now? Oh, shit, it would be so hard. And also, in spaces, everybody has very tight budgets and lots of very established artists are getting shows, but not fairly emerging artists. And so they need as much support, I think, as possible. And this is definitely one of the reasons why I started the space, for sure. Yeah, that's really nice. That's really generous. Oh, well, I love these youngins anyway. And the work that they, oh my God, what's not to like? And one person giving somebody a little nudge of support, sometimes that's all it takes for them to feel validated and get in that studio and get working, you know? It take a hundred people. It sometimes takes one or two people just to say, get in there. I really believe in what you're doing. Keep going. Just keep pushing, pushing. Work every day. That's what they need, right? Amazing happens. Like you, Stephanie, 
do that intuitive approach. See what happens. You may really surprise yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to check it. I mean, you really just made me think that like, hmm, maybe I'm, you know, it, actually, like, this is a funny story. One time when I was going to this church, they would, you know, like pray over people and the people would like pass out, you know, and one of the evangelists would always try to do it to me. And I'm like, this isn't working. And she's like, you're just thinking too much. That's why. And I'm like, oh, Ooh, okay. I was like, maybe, I don't know. You know, this is like people I've seen, like my, I've had, I've gone to like church with girlfriends that they've done this to and they've passed out. So I'm like, this is like something legit going on over there. It wasn't like, you know, like this, and like they've a TV thing. afterwards and said, yeah, I was totally passed out. Yes. Yeah. They're like, I feel so much better. Like you see it in their face. You see it in their face. Their eyes look different. It's just like, then I'm like, I want to try. And then like, they're like, I'm like, (laughs) I want to go. I want to go. Yes. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. We'll try with your new, like your new approach to our work. If it passes on, like if it passes for you, when you go, when we go to church. Passes out when they come, you know, but if anybody comes to the exhibition and passes out in front of the work, I'll smell like, (laughs) (laughs) oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. It's right. Yeah. Well, you know, Marie, this has been great talking to you. I really just think that you're such a generous, warm, giving, funny um, woman, down-to-earth woman. And I'm so glad that we got a chance to spend that time in Pooch Cove together and become buddies. You know, I really enjoyed that time and eating that, eating breads, butters, and jams, and fish and chips, and being across from the ocean. I mean, what a dream life. Yeah, no, that was great. (laughs) Me too. Yeah. I mean, it was really special meeting you and the other girls who were there as well. Like, sure. I don't know. We seem to be a really nice connection with everyone, and people seem to be fairly comfortable uh, around each other. And you know, it was just a really great group and a great working situation as well. And thank you. That's sweet of you to say. You know, and I feel you're doing the same thing. Any of those things you are doing as well through this podcast. And I think that's really important and really great too. So yeah, there will be our mutual fan club. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Yeah. Sounds good. Thank you so much for tuning into the Nosy AF podcast with me, your host, your friend, Stephanie Graham. I'm so glad that you made it to the end of this conversation. Please kindly let me know what you thought by leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you're listening right now. You can also connect with me at nosyaf.com via the Say Hello button. And if you're curious about what's going on in my art and film life, please visit my website at missgram.com. Oh, and also, if there is someone that you're nosy about and you want me to have them on the show, please send suggestions via the same hello button and I will check them out. Until next time, thank you so much for being you and see you soon. Peace.